Vaporwave News Network, Episode 1. Hello and welcome to the Vaporwave News Network, a bi-weekly podcast about the contemporary vaporwave scene. We feature news, discussion, and current trends, as well as reporting on upcoming releases and events in the vaporwave, future funk, and adjacent communities. I'm your host, Alex, aka Trucks Passing Trucks. I run Pacific Plaza Records in addition to DJing and booking events over my past six years of being involved in the vaporwave scene. With this show, I'm hoping to fill a niche in the scene that I feel has been missing. A show that's covering the contemporary era of the vaporwave music and art movement. A show that strives to provide a wide variety of coverage in an easily digestible format. A show that acknowledges the history of the genre and makes connections between the past and current happenings in the vaporwave community. And I realize it will never be a completely comprehensive show, but I want to make it into a resource that newbies as well as seasoned scene veterans can tune into for a quick and robust update about what's going on what's happening in Vaporwave. So the show will happen twice a month to start with. I'm beginning this as a one-person operation, but I am looking for a co-host or part-time guest host that want to help out. And you may have seen some social media posts I made through my label to begin gathering resources and information about the kind of stuff that I want to report on. I'm hoping the community can help me fill in the gaps and provide some information and support through direct messages or the use of my Vaporwave News Network submission forms. So the submission forms have been set up for you, the listeners and members of the community, to help me. The show has a few main focuses. Current happenings in the scene, events, shows, gigs, concerts, releases, and a main discussion topic or Q&A mailbag. So you can head over to our link tree and you will find three submission forms. The link is in the show notes and you can look it up on linktr.ee slash vaporwave news network. There's currently submission forms for live events and shows, new releases, and general questions for the host about Vaporwave, the current scene, and other mailbag type stuff. Okay, so with all of that out of the way, let's slide back into the format for our broadcast this week. So again, welcome to Vaporwave News Network. It's episode one, covering the first half of May 2023, over 10 years since the birth of this genre and scene. I'm going to talk about a bunch of things that have been happening recently, But before that, I'm going to go through a little bit about what I've been doing lately and some stuff I've been listening to. In terms of listening, I've been listening to this album called Blooming Love by Party Night that came out on Business Casual. It's a great future funk album. It's classically like sample based, but it has real strong drum production that's kind of like a little French housey. And it reminds me of like Aiden Kai and some of like the Central American or like Mexican future funk producers. I think Skeleton Lipstick has talked about this sort of subsect of future funk that's happening right now and i think it's a lot of like younger producers making it it's very sample based but it's still very up tempo it uses some of the anime imagery but it's not they're not making anime music i think there's a hot takes episode where they talk about it, if you want to go back and look that up so i've already dj'd some tracks by this producer and they're super awesome so go check out blooming love by party night it came out on business casual and where was I DJing that? Well, I was DJing them at Sweat.biz down in San Diego. Sweat.biz is finally getting back into a monthly format. And their show that we had was at House of Black Coffee in North Park. So that was super dope. And then recently, I actually got booked to play Yoitoki in Los Angeles on July 1st during Anime Expo, which is super cool. Uh, it's really an honor to be able to do that. So I'm really excited. It's at a venue called Don Quixote. And if you want to attend, there are still tickets online. 
And then I've also just been going to a lot of shows, uh, including vaporwave shows like the Secret George Clinton Negative Gemini show, the like DIY style show that happened at Rubicon Records. There was They Friends album release show that was at El Cid, but if you heard what happened at the end of the show, fuck that venue. They were such jerks. And then actually recently I went to my local Saturday night art walk down in Santa Ana, and I've been going there a lot. I used to go there all the time when I was younger, when it was really popping back in the mid-2010s. And it's really cool to see it coming back. And I'm hopefully going to be curating some performances later this summer at uh, some future art walks. So, really excited about that. Anyway, what's been happening in the vaporwave scene these past two weeks? Well, there's been a lot of live shows. You know, in addition to the ones I mentioned, there was also Terminally Chill out in Philly. And there was a new one, Crystal Nostalgia, that popped up in Los Angeles back in April. Uh, Vapor Space is still been continuing to do shows. And I mentioned the They Friend album release in Los Angeles, Sweat.biz down in San Diego. Lots of stuff starting to get announced, too, like out in Arizona. I'm going to do a full coverage of events that are coming up, URL and IRL, in the next section of the show. So let's keep going, and let's cover some other things that happened recently in the URL event space. Uh, we had Hot Takes doing an episode with Sega Octopus. There was a new Neon Nights uh, radio show by Luxury Elite. Sight Sounds and Conversations with Codex Encyclopedia premiered their third season over on YouTube. And then Brick Mason has been streaming their radio show Joy Noise, where they've been interviewing Vapor folks and playing mixes. And then you got Vapor 91.9 and Lowell. I think they're still out there doing stuff, but they might have said recently they're on a little break because of finals. Classic college situation. So shout out to all those people keeping the online community and scene going. There was also some really big news uh, for people who are in the old school, the old school, and it was Disconscious announcing their return. So we saw this on Twitter. We saw this from Important Records, who's going to be releasing a new album by Disconscious. But I don't know if it's really like a new Disconscious record because it's being released under their own name. So on May 12th, an album called Cascades of Refinement is coming out on Important Records. And the label tweeted some interesting info about who was behind the project and mentioned that they had done a release on Arca's Mutant Mixtape series back in 2020 under the name Parish, and apparently Parish is their name. So Disconsciousness will be using his own name, Parish, for the upcoming release as well, says the label. There is one track streaming and a pre-order available, and it's got some vaporwave and hauntological vibes to it. It's very much more in the ambient realm and kind of experimental classical music, I would say. But you should go check it out. And it's a really interesting, exciting thing for the Vaporwave community when artists come back and put out new things that are still interesting and exciting and adjacent to the scene, at least. And, of course, the biggest thing to happen in the Vaporwave scene this week is Bandcamp Friday. So Bandcamp Friday happened on May 5th, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Also mention some special Bandcamp Friday drops and releases that happen because I know some people are out there being like, man, you're missing one of the biggest artists releasing something this in this like time period. And I'm going to get to it. Don't worry. Don't worry. So our next section here is going to be upcoming shows, URL and IRL. And I haven't been getting ton of feedback when i've been trying to find out about url shows that are happening maybe there's just not as many getting booked but one important one that's going to be coming up in july is going to be helios put on by ming curry on his twitch channel and there's over 120 musical artists 36 visual artists over 40 hours of performances on july 22nd and 23rd and i say 36 visual artists because i'm actually gonna be doing a set now i don't know if i was included in that original count but regardless 
it's exciting. I'm pretty hyped to get to do some visuals again. It's been a minute. So Helios coming up. Don't forget that one. Mark it on your calendar. And then Hot Takes is still doing their every other week schedule. Uh, This is going to come out after they have patch notes on their show. But I believe they're going to have some other artists coming up in the month of June. And of course, the month of July for their summer episodes as they continue. I think they're technically saying they're in season two of the show. So that's Hot Takes with Skeleton Lipstick and Young Shiro over on the Hot Takes Vapor Twitch channel. Otherwise, we're going to move on to IRL shows, and there are so many IRL shows getting announced, so many things happening, and one thing I will say is most of these are North American-centric, and I am hoping that people will submit shows that are happening in other parts of the world. I'm doing my best to keep an eye out and to start cataloging things, and I really hope that other people were kind of doing this already, because so many people over the past five years have said oh yeah i'm going to catalog show calendars and make sure we know what's going on and when people are throwing even tiny events and i find that it's hard to do that even if you're really passionate about it like me and i do have a hard time with it so if you know events or if you're booking an event even if it's not announced yet please use a submission form let me know what's going on so i can start to keep it in our calendar for our future episodes so we can announce it because i'm going to go through these pretty quickly because there's so much happening i know there's going to be more happening Eventually, if it gets too crazy, if really the live scene starts blooming like we hope it does, we might have to reduce it or just turn it into an actual online calendar that has a complete listing and then only mention highlights on the podcast. Who knows? I mean, things could change a lot in the next year. So we're going to stick with now. And for our IRL shows, I'm trying to go in order of date. And we're going to start off with May 12th, Vapor Space Dujin Disco. Hopefully I pronounced that right in St. Louis at the Platypus, put on by, as I mentioned, Vaporspace STL. And they have a special guest, Synchro Start, who is out of Chicago, I believe. May 13th, we got Vapor at the Thunderbird Lounge in Phoenix for Saguaro Funk. May 26th, Sweat.biz is back in San Diego at the House of Black Coffee in North Park. May 26th, we also have Yoitoki in New York City at TVI. May 27th, Crystal Nostalgia in LA at High Tide DTLA. In June, there'll be another Crystal Nostalgia. They haven't announced a date yet, but I hear it's going to be real exciting. June 18th, Sweat.biz is going to be back at the Whistle Stop in San Diego on a Sunday night. June 23rd, we have Yoitoki in Seattle at El Corazon with Fantacat. June 24th, Yoitoki in Las Vegas at Area 51. July 1st, Yoitoki in LA at Don Quixote, which I mentioned. I'm going to be playing that one. July 14th, Yoitoki's in Baltimore at the Baltimore Soundstage. I believe Fiber is playing that one. And July 29th, we have Yoitoki in Pontiac, Michigan at the Crowfoot Ballroom. But the real exciting show that's happening on July 29th is going to be Summer Synapse by Midwest Aesthetic in Madison, Wisconsin at the High Noon Saloon with an absolutely stacked lineup. Vendors, lots of people are going to be there and they're really excited about it. This is such a cool like event for people in the Midwest, Upper Northwest upper midwest to go to and the lineup's great we got luxury elite a hero vape air fire tools van gogh simple syrup young shiro and more so that's what we got coming up in june may june and july so much happening if you have shows to submit to me please send them through our submission form which you can find on our link tree Okay, up next here we have upcoming releases. So on the show, I'm going to be trying to feature three to four releases with a little bit more in-depth 
discussion and information in addition to some shout outs and honorable mentions of things that are coming up very first release i'm going to talk about really exciting for so many of us is the cash wednesday self-titled release that saint pepsi dropped on bandcamp friday so i'm getting a little ahead of myself with the bandcamp friday stuff here but this was a big one i was super excited to see this and car park records kind of put out a statement that i think summarizes this pretty well because when i was sharing this around with some friends they were like oh yeah i remember some of these tracks oh i think i seen play some of these live and this kind of covers it all so in an ongoing series of re-earthing the brilliant releases of St. Pepsi, a record that has not yet been heard in full, Cash Wednesday gets its first release. Cash Wednesday is really the lost St. Pepsi record recorded between 2015 and 2016 after the release of the debut Skylar Spence album Prom King. These songs were intended for the St. Pepsi name because of the use of obscure samples, but they were also made in order to be funky and irresistibly danceable. St. Pepsi teased several of these tracks on SoundCloud and featured them in his DJ sets opening for Maddion in 2016. Tracks like Say and Ajax quickly became part of the Cash Wednesday lore among those paying close attention. However, before the entire album had been shared, many of the tracks were lost due to hard drive failure. As luck would have it, in November of 2022, incomplete versions of the missing tracks and samples and live mixes were found on an old laptop. After finding time to recreate the album in full, St. Pepsi is eager to breathe new life into Cash Wednesday and share the newly completed album for fans who have been eagerly awaiting since 2015. So you can really tell he approached it with some modern mixing and took advantage of all the skills he's gained over the years, but it still has that classic future funk editing and it, and it maintains some of that mid-fi charm with all, all the chopped samples and stuff. Some of the really great emotional sample choices are just right on point and then there's also like great danceable bangers that could definitely be DJable. So it has some adventurous big room feeling of the tracks and I hope like me all other future funk fans are are rejoicing out there right now. So there's a pre-order for the vinyl in a black disco sleeve with no artwork and some hats available on Bandcamp and Car Park's website. In other news from more big names in the scene that have been around for a while, we have Negi Jemmy releasing her new album, CBD Reiki Moonbeam, on 100% Electronica. So it's been a few years since her last full length, and while this isn't necessarily like 100% Vaporwave, 100% Electronica has definitely been making overtures about connecting with the community, doing smaller releases, more shows, things like that. So maybe that's kind of coming after these new albums by George and Lindsay are finally out and we finally get an announcement about the next Econ. But this album's super cool. She's making some really great production and mixing choices. It sounds so full and big and it's like vapor pop music, you know? I mean, there's hints of different electronic genres and kind of contemporary things that are popular but there's still a lot of danceable things going on there i hear some hints of future funk especially in like black ferrari but the album is a pretty unique mix of up-tempo dance music and like mid-tempo vibe vessels so Lindsay said she used parts of like picture plane remixes samples of her own songs or reworked old parts of hers into new music which is pretty cool and in my book kind of counts as vaporwave so you should go check that out Okay, so the very last thing we're going to talk about is Business Casual. Business Casual has dropped two retrospective releases in the last two weeks, celebrating year 10 and 10 years of the label. 
So first, on Bandcamp Friday, they released Anniversary Volume 10, which features 20 tracks from people that have been on the label in the past year. And that includes some great producers like Melanade, Pursuing Paradise, Sai Cowan, Ziamara, Simple Syrup, Bart Graff, Active Presence, Future Funk producer Chance, and more. There's only 100 tapes available, and I think they're almost gone, so you might still be able to get one over on Bandcamp. But the second release we're going to talk about is BizCash 10. So that's B-I-Z-C-A-S 10, which is a huge 60-track compilation across two cassettes featuring artists from their entire catalog over the past 10 years. So Business Casual started back in 2013. Super amazing. And I'm going to talk about one of those early releases actually later in the show. But this release, the 60-track compilation, shows like what a great curator John has been over the past decade and what an amazing vessel for music Business Casual has been to help you know spread and preserve the variety of sounds that we have to offer in the vaporwave scene. And it shows all the different things we've kind of indulged in over the years. So like I said earlier, uh, this was also released on physical media. It's two tapes with four sides of music packaged in special vinyl rave case box sets with wraparound artwork. Uh, you know, those are the cases that are like kind of halfway between a plastic video game case and like a Disney VHS clamshell. They were like pretty popular uh, for people doing special editions and comps during the pandemic, and people have still been using them, so it was cool to see that. And they're currently sold out. Uh, they actually went out within like a few hours, so hopefully we'll see a repress, because I know I'd like one of them, and it looked like a really amazing compilation. You could still go check it out digitally on Business Casual's Bandcamp and listen to some of the just classic tracks that the label's put out over the past 10 years. So big congratulations to Business Casual. Some other releases and announcements of note that aren't related to Bandcamp Friday, which I'm going to cover in the next section of the show here. Barber Beats producer Godspeed, or Godspeed Sound, released Noblesse Oblige, which is a Barber Beats album. There were a lot of cap court reissues. Uh, I'm not going to name them all or any of them. There's too many. We also had Hidden Earth by Alpha Chrome Yeo, which was an instrumental chill-out album that's the third in a series of releases like this from them. It's a, quote, collection of 10 new age ambient and folk tracks to tether you to the soil sky and sea and imagine i said that in an irish accent (laughs) there was also a new album from longtime producer limousine called dusty roads that was released on business casual it's a bit more languid like his mall soft albums and it's definitely quite dusty and desert road trip ready so you can go check that one out we also had anomaly garden by r infinity and it's a long-form ambient nature wave album, four pieces, and self-released on cassette, as R-Infinity usually does. They're just such a cool producer, makes really unique and special handmade releases that uh, are in small quantities, and the music's always super high quality, so you should go check them out. And then No Problem Tapes continued their Barber Beat series with an album from Message Me Later that came out back at the end of April. And I think there was a sly vinyl final version that you could have gotten of that album by message me later as well if you have upcoming releases to send to us for coverage please go to the link tree use the upcoming release submission form and i will say priority is given to new releases and i'm not typically super interested in reissues and will not spend much time on reissues as you might have heard earlier versus things that are coming out from current artists and from new artists so keep that in mind when you're using the submission form Now, we're going to move on to our main topic, and it's a very easy choice for the first half of the month. You could really say that for so many months 
over the past couple of years here because the first Friday of every month has been something called Bandcamp Friday. Now, there's been some times where they've stopped it and brought it back, and I feel like that's happened so many times, it's like, why? But it's back again. It's been back for the first part of the year here, and actually May is going to be the last Bandcamp Friday. They're going to take a break, and then it will restart again. And then not happen in 2024? Question mark? I don't know. But that is our main topic today. It is the last Bandcamp Friday till August. And in that sort of vein, talking about Bandcamp and Bandcamp Friday, I've also been thinking lately, there's a lot of labels who are moving their stores off of Bandcamp or opening up a store in addition to their Bandcamp page. So our main topic today is also going to get into that. I'm going to talk to some different label owners, discuss a little bit of the behind the scenes of having a label on Bandcamp and what people from different parts of the scene think about using Bandcamp, moving off of Bandcamp, having multiple web stores, and all that kind of stuff. So to begin Bandcamp Friday, I've been seeing the noticeable drop off in excitement about Bandcamp Friday this year. I don't know, lots of people are still doing reissues and saving up backlogs of stuff to release and pre-orders to drop on that one specific Friday, which can be kind of frustrating for some people, but you know, it's hard on the wallet. It's tough when you're a smaller label. It's tough if you're a new artist, but I'm going to go over some notable releases and things that happened this Friday, May 5th. I mentioned the St. Pepsi release under his Cash Wednesday alias. We also had Validation Rock by Kama come out on Pause and Reflect Music. Barber Beats producer Gore released an album that translates as Childhood Memories on their Bandcamp. We had Neon Nights by Cyber Realities reissued on Mossy Frog Tapes. Future Century by Skyline City, which is the translation of their name, uh, was released on physical via underwater computing that had been out digitally, but now they have a mini disc and tape version. And underwater computing also dropped a pre-order for Day of Blues album Forever You on tape and mini disc. Miss Continent by R23X was released on vinyl by Geometric Lullaby and The Yeti, which is something that R23X is a part of, company is a part of. So those are some notable releases. Go look them up. If they still have copies left, you can buy them. Some of those things definitely have copies left. Some of those I'm pretty sure are sold out. So say la vie. Hopefully you'll get on it for next month and catch those exclusive Bandcamp Friday releases. Actually, no, you won't catch them next month in August. Because, yeah, why is it stopping for just two months? It restarts in August. Like, I get it. Summer is busy and people tour. I've heard in other parts of the music industry people don't release as much this time of year which seems weird i feel like a lot of big singles come out for like summer bangers around this time you know may going to june and july but i guess school kind of restarts for a lot of people here in north america in late august and that's across all levels of education now so the summer kind of ends in a touristic or i guess pleasure sort of sense before the american holiday of labor day but Bandcamp Friday is coming back in early August, which is like the first weekend of August, which is really the thick of the summer, I mean, for most of us still, or the thick of the winter if you're in the, the bottom half of the world. So I, I don't really understand why they're doing this start and stop thing. If they want to get rid of it and stop it, they should just stop it. I, personally, for me, I don't mind. I mean, in our main topic here, we're going to talk about labels moving their store off of Bandcamp. And I have, of course, my own experience I'll share later. But there's a lot of varying opinions out there about Bandcamp Friday. Most people are really happy that Bandcamp has given us the extra money back, so to speak. And it was really beneficial for 
artists financially during the pandemic. Although I think it's created some interesting trends and attitudes towards the platform itself, towards release cycles, pre-orders, and vaporwave physical media in general. So with that, we're going to move on to the main topic here of labels moving their stores off of Bandcamp. What's going on? Continuing on with our main topic this month, we're discussing Bandcamp Friday and Vaporwave labels, not necessarily leaving per se, but finding alternatives to selling merchandise and physical media rather than on Bandcamp. So I talked to a few labels and I reached out to about seven or eight total to get some different perspective from different folks, not just labels from the USA, not just labels leaving Bandcamp, but one thing they all did have in common is that they've been active for about four to five years and thus remember a time before Bandcamp Friday, uh, a time before the hailstorm of pre-orders that were yet to be in production, a time before Vaporwave could even be uploaded to Spotify in uh, some cases for these labels. This is by no means a comprehensive survey of the scene, but here are a few questions I asked and then I'll let you know what labels got back to me. So for labels who opened a store, an alternate store, I sent these questions. Why did you open up an online storefront that's separate from your Bandcamp? Do you make more sales, quantity-wise, not financially, on Bandcamp or the separate storefront? Did Bandcamp Friday influence the choice to have a separate storefront? Uh, Spoiler, that was actually a no for everybody. What is your opinion on Bandcamp Friday in general? Was it good, bad, and what trends or practices did it create or encourage or maybe discourage in your view? What do you think about the potential end of Bandcamp Friday later this year? Then for labels who have mostly stuck with Bandcamp, I sent similar but slightly different questions like, what is your opinion on Bandcamp Friday in general? Was it good, bad? What trends or practices did it create or encourage, discourage in your view? Have you noticed more Vaporwave labels moving their online stores off Bandcamp in the past year? If so, why do you think they have and why haven't you? Have you considered opening an online storefront? And what do you think about the potential end of Bandcamp Friday later this year? So... I had some labels that got back to me, and I'll start with the list. I had Tony at City Man Productions. We had Aloe City, who got back to me, Correspect Records, and Business Casual. And then there's myself. I run Pacific Plaza Records. First off, I'll say that I'm not sure if Bandcamp Friday is going to end this year, but I have heard it rumored amongst other label owners outside of the vaporwave scene. I'm in some groups with other label owners that run DIY labels of various genres. And... If you have read the statement on the Bandcamp Daily website from owner Ethan Diamond that was released at the beginning of this year when they were going to bring back Bandcamp Friday all year, but not all year, except for a couple months, it seems that this statement Ethan Diamond made is kind of prepping people to move on. So I'm going to start with that. Here's what it says if you haven't read it. If you've started to feel guilty about buying music on any other day of the month, here's something to keep in mind. On Bandcamp Fridays, an average of 93% of your money reaches the artist's label after payment processor fees. When you make a purchase on any other day, as millions of you have, with more than $1 billion now paid directly to the artist, an average of 82% reaches the label slash artist. Every day is a good day to support artists on Bandcamp. That's a statement from Bandcamp themselves. And let's start our segment here with a recorded statement from Tony at City Man Productions. I've seen him be outspoken about Bandcamp policies, looking after his artist and his label's bottom line, as well as dealing with taxation issues. He's overseas City Man Productions runs from Finland, 
and he also mentions considerations about keeping things accessible and reasonably priced for his customers and tells us how Bandcamp's policies affect that. Let's hear what he had to say in response to some of my questions. I decided to bring back the web store because of Bandcamp's share and because the platform is very glitchy. Bandcamp's cut of 10% combined with the PayPal transaction fee is just super high in my opinion. For smaller artists and labels, Bandcamp's cut is 15%, as you have to sell enough stuff to lower Bandcamp's share. I don't want to raise the prices because of Bandcamp's cut. As mentioned, Bandcamp is a horrible platform for artists and labels to sell their stuff. For example, you can't have weight-based shipping rates and their tax system, at least for European artists and labels, is so weird that it beats me. Also, if you have to contact their customer service, it takes ages. Bandcamp is basically asking a share of 10 to 15% for offering a horrible platform to sell your merch on. That being said, I won't quit selling merch on Bandcamp because some of my customers prefer Bandcamp and that's totally okay. Now, while I might disagree or dispute some of the claims, it's clear that Tony is passionate about making the best decisions to facilitate great art and fairly compensate artists. He gives us an inside look at the details one must consider when running an international online retail shop, which is realistically what most Vaporwave labels are. They're selling merchandise. They don't really do as much on the PR promotion side. They do you know, take nice pictures and make graphics sometimes, but most Vaporwave labels aren't operating like indie labels or major labels. They're very much more like merchandising stores and they are manufacturers that help artists manufacture things. But Tony brings a perspective from European labels that someone like myself from America wouldn't be able to communicate. And Bandcamp's inability to do certain things that an online retailer can normally do on e-commerce platform like Shopify or Big Cartel or others is an issue for other labels like Allo City, who had this to say about why they opened an alternate online storefront. They did it for two reasons. Quote, the first reason is that Bandcamp has extortionate fees on physical sales compared to similar platforms, not specifically music-based, but other e-commerce platforms in general. The other reason is that at the time, our fulfillment center's system could not integrate with Bandcamp, which meant that we had to send all the Bandcamp orders to them as spreadsheets. So setting up a new store via a different platform was in our best interest. And that's unrelated to shipping. A fulfillment center ships out orders to different parts of the world, hopefully making it cheaper or making it at least easier for the label so they have more time to run the label and do label stuff. Correspect Records also shared a similar reason. They opened a separate online storefront primarily due to the percentage of profit from each sale, which was going to Bandcamp relative to the services provided by Bandcamp. And I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding as to what Bandcamp does and the reasons behind its percentage. I mean, when it was originally started way back then, it wasn't meant to be a storefront e-commerce platform. And the integration uh, of all these things and ways to process physical merch has always like been an afterthought for Bandcamp. Bandcamp is a digital music distributor in a way that is unmatched in terms of accessible music distribution services for artists, maybe not for listeners, but they take that percentage to pay for the hosting, for serving the data, hosting landing pages for thousands upon thousands of releases. And I think people need to kind of remember that the higher percentage is socialized to cover such a vast infrastructure that's existed longer than pretty much any DIY music streaming distribution web platform and other things that have popped up over the past 15 years. That said, for me as a label and merchandiser, Bandcamp's provided backend services are only valuable if you use them. 
And I do use them and they're in a bit of a closed environment, which can be tricky unless you get good at spreadsheet exports or you have API knowledge and things like that. For me, I really appreciate the services Bandcamp provides, especially the way it integrates digitally and integrates with the Bandcamp for Fans app. And I constantly, constantly encourage people to use the Bandcamp for Fans app because it is an awesome streaming alternative to paid services like Spotify. For me, the order tracking, digital music integration, community fan accessibility, and just the general Vaporwave ecosystem that's been on the site since its inception makes it worth it to me. However, I actually do have an alternate web store for Pacific Plaza, and we put high-ticket items over there, so that's anything over $20 usually. To mitigate those fees, they are high. I mean, especially if you're smaller and you don't sell a lot. It is nice that Bandcamp will lower the percentage to 10% if you do have high volume, but yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. Uh, when I put stuff in our alternate store, I usually pass on the discount to customers uh, and list for lower than I would on Bandcamp. I think other labels do that too, and is that canceling out the Bandcamp you know, added value, or is that really benefiting the customers? I think it benefits the customers, but I guess there could be an argument to be made there. However, I'm not the only one who finds value in Bandcamp services and ecosystem. Business casual owner John Sabelli had this to say about opening an online storefront, quote, I've noticed this going back to like 2018, and since then, been playing around with the idea for business casual. I've even gone as far as to start building a storefront a bit ago, but honestly, it's just as convenient or cheap as Bandcamp, so I haven't really put any more work into it since. With the new Epic Games purchase, it could be bad for sample-based stuff in the future, but I don't know. I feel like the hammer would have gone down on us sooner than that. So John brings up a good point. Bandcamp has kind of let indie and DIY artists use their service like it's the Wild West or even like a darknet web store for unlicensed samples, remixes, covers, and all sorts of stuff. And while I don't personally agree with some of the copyright or copy wrong laws, corporate and public companies are supposed to be following the law and enforcing things that we in the vaporwave scene might not like. Heck, I'm even surprised Spotify lets so much sample-based stuff rack up millions of plays and puts them on big playlists. And, you know, there might come a time where we need to migrate off of services like Bandcamp or people get struck off of Spotify. And in terms of physical media, Allocity already told me that they've already stopped selling new product on Bandcamp. And I've certainly seen other small labels going that way as well. New labels are like training their customers to always buy off of Bandcamp and relying on sending out like tons of download codes to get people's stuff uh, in their Bandcamp fan collection so they can listen to it. Most e-commerce sites aren't set up to distribute music, and you know a lot of them barely offer decent like zip file downloads. Uh, one of the like exceptions to that is like limited run, which is specifically marketed at creatives and musicians. So I've strayed a bit from the original reason this whole discussion started, which is Bandcamp Friday. And universally, almost all labels appreciate Bandcamp Friday, but many agreed that the wow factor, as Business Casual put it, has worn off. And I agree with BizCash that it's become a quote crutch for labels. And it's funny because every label agreed it became oversaturated, but it looks like the trend will just continue as Bandcamp Friday comes back for the second half of the year in August. However, I will share a bit of a contrarian opinion from Alice City that I think has a bit of truth to it, especially in light of the Ethan Diamond statement I read earlier. Alice City says, and I quote, 
I know this is an unpopular opinion, but Bandcamp Friday feels like virtue signaling to me. If Bandcamp truly wanted to support artists and labels, they would adjust their fees to be more in line with other e-commerce platforms rather than waiving the fees once a month. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, with Bandcamp's history, this is not like an easy pivot for the company to do, but who knows, maybe things will change under Epic Games and they'll start to come more in line with this idea that Allo City has put out here. So to address some of the other questions as I wrap it up here, most of the labels I talked to said their Bandcamp versus alternate storefront sales were roughly even, although that may be because they split their stock evenly, like Tony at City Man said he does, and Allo City said they were doing at one point. Personally, my label sells much less on our alternate storefront, but we don't also we, we also don't list all the items. It's like I said, mostly high ticket items. Although I have noticed we do occasionally get some cassette sales and smaller item sales there when I do put them up. As many people know, Epic Games buying Bandcamp, which happened back in early March 2022, over a year ago, could still bring some changes to the site. And although it seemed pretty stable over the past year, despite Tony's claims of glitchiness, Multiple labels have expressed, quote, trepidation in the face of Epic Games' takeover, as Corusback said to us. And Business Casual also said, it could be bad for sample-based stuff in the future. But, I don't know, I feel like the hammer would have gone down sooner than that. It's really a bit nebulous, but for now, I guess we kind of just have to keep on keeping on. And to wrap up this part of the show, I'm going to end with one last quote from Tony at City Man that I think sums up a bit of what we've discussed about Bandcamp Friday labels moving off the platform and a little wholesome message for us all at the end about making creating and consuming here in our vapor world so a final statement here from tony and then we'll move on with the rest of our show in my opinion the idea of bandcamp friday was great however now many are releasing physical stuff only on bandcamp fridays because Bandcamp won't get their cut on that day. So it doesn't really surprise me that there won't be any more of them after this year. Also, there's so many physical releases on every Bandcamp Friday that fans may have to choose between releases because they might not afford everything they want. It kind of reminds me of what happened with streaming services. Everyone had the opportunity to make their music available, but it's very hard to stand out from the crowd because there are millions of great albums, for example, on Spotify. Whatever the case, music is art, not a competition. Okay, and for the very last section of the podcast before I sign off, I'm going to do a little segment, and it's going to be called This Week in Vaporwave History. So I'm going to take a look for releases news articles, and other interesting things that happened during this time of the year back in the past. And I think to get started, I'm mostly going to stick with the 2011 to 2014 era, 15 maybe. So more the early years of Vaporwave. And this time around, it is no exception. I have three releases, actually, three releases. I'm going to quickly try and get through them that are all super important and critical to our genre, our scene, and community. So Midnight Television, self-titled EP, was released on Beer on the Rug, May 11th, 2011, over 10 years ago. And man, this is a good one. This is actually the first release listed on the Beer on the Rug Bandcamp page right now, but it was actually the third release on the label, and it did get a cassette release, and those are original editions are super rare. 
but it's one of the definitive late night lo-fi releases and it's been reissued by a couple different labels since like the infinity pool if you've been around long enough you remember those guys geometric lullaby also did a version on vinyl and it's definitely had an influence on the genre of broken transmission and i'd say the more melodic side of kind of signal wave very lo-fi vapor wave that's sample based and actually in pretty recent news in a tweet on april 25th uh midnight television who's also the same artist behind computer dreams that's how you'll find him on twitter he said that he's working on a new computer dreams album that's supposed to come out this year so that'll be interesting there was also a new midnight television track uploaded to his soundcloud earlier this year and uh you know, the iconic Computer Dreams album actually came out June 1st, 2011. So there's an early dose of Vapor history for you as well. Next one I got here is Reverb Light released the B-Sides on Business Casual. And it was also the third release on Business Casual on May 12th, 2013. And that's a really early Business Casual release, one of the originals. And, you know, there was a couple earlier things before that, including Digital Office One, which Reverb Light was also on that compilation. It was their first compilation by Business Casual that features DeLorean, Christ, Wallflowers, Architecture in Tokyo, Miami Vice, and other stuff like that. And Reverb Light was around in the early scene. He was in some of those Facebook groups, and he played the early SPF 420 shows. So, cool dude. Actually, he's a friend of mine in real life, and I've toured with a band that uh, they're in back about five years ago and we talked a little bit about vaporwave while we were on that tour together it was very cool hearing about those early days and it really was inspirational for me to like continue plowing deeper into vapor history and starting my label and being involved in the scene because when we were on that tour together i had just released my album uh on dmt tapes the wave ray 64 album so big shouts out to reverb light go check out his album b-sides on business casual and then from george clanton himself Esprit releases Virtua.zip on May 7th, 2014, and it's the first full-length album after a series of EPs and short releases that he did under the Esprit name. It still sounds like classic sampled vaporwave and breakbeats and kind of what he's known for now, but in the description on the Bandcamp page, it's interesting because it says this, and I think this is important for people to note. It says, This album is distinct, and that is comprised of all original compositions. Samples are used as a brush stroke rather than a canvas. Tracks 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 16 are entirely free of sampling. And this album has original vocals and manipulated vocals in sort of a Vaporwave 2 style. So, kind of cool. Came out way back in 2014. Vaporwave's had a variety of ways it's been approached sonically, visually, pretty cool thing and you don't need to gatekeep it it's not just one singular track of course hopefully in the future we'll discuss more about the meaning of vaporwave and sort of the different directions it's gone over the years that is kind of the point in talking about the contemporary scene where have we taken it and with that i think it's about time to wrap up the show so you can find some of the albums and music mentioned in the episode notes. If you have anything you would like to submit to the Vaporwave News Network, you can check out our link tree for submission forms. Again, that's linktr.ee slash Vaporwave News Network. And we'll also be putting up some pages on social media, but at the moment, the best way to get in contact with us is through our email, vaporwavenewsnetwork at gmail.com. 
I've been your host, Alex, a.k.a. Trucks Passing Trucks. If you want to find me or my label Pacific Plaza on social media, you can look up at Pacific Plaza Rec. That's Pacific Plaza R-E-C, all one word, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Although, maybe not long for Twitter. It's getting pretty rough over there. And someone was inviting me to Blue Sky, so maybe I should do that. I don't know. But I also have an Instagram page for my music and DJing shenanigans over at Trucks Passing Trucks, all one word. I mentioned that I have some shows coming up, like uh, Yoitoki on July 1st. I'm going to be playing the Sweat Dot Biz show since I'm a resident down there. And I'm super excited for all the cool things that are going to happen this summer. I'm really excited to get this podcast going, and I hope you come back for our next episode. Spread it around. Share it on social media. This is going to be something I really want to help grow and help keep everyone in the vaporwave scene up to date on what's happening. So from this part of our vapor world, signing off until next time. Vaporwave News Network.